Welcome to episode five of season two of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Matt Satilli. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Owen Shadrick, who has a big announcement that we wanted to give you guys right off the top. Owen, always good to see you. Tell us what's going on. What's going on, Matt? It's good to be back. Episode five, season two. And I would like to officially announce that I will be back in the Futures League for my third season as the league intern once again. Very excited to continue to grow this league. You know, we took big steps last summer with things like Blue Frame and Nesson. So shout out to Joe Pellucci and everything the league's doing. I'm so excited to be part of it for another summer. That's awesome. It'll be tremendous for you to be back in the league. Like you said, third time, time to go around for the hat trick, the three-peat. And Josh Cummins is going to be your boss. So what a great way to start 2021. I love it. Shout out, Josh. Shout out, Joe. That'll be tremendous. Welcome back. Thanks. I got to be careful around Josh. He's going he's gonna, <laughs> to put me to work. I love it. Hey, fool him once. Shame on you. Fool him twice. Shame on him. Nah, shout out Josh and Joe. So we have a little bit of a different podcast today for you guys. We have Mike Glavin, the head coach of the Northeastern University Baseball Program. It was really great to talk to him. We've already had two Huskies on the podcast, Danny Crossan and Jared Dupree. And it was great to hear what he had to say about the summer collegiate model through the eyes of a college head coach. So really excited for this one. Yeah, it was so great to hear kind of a different perspective from the outside of the Futures League. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Should be an awesome one. Welcome to maybe all of our Northeastern listeners that are just joining us. So should be a good one. Once again, wanted to give a little different flavor here during the offseason for some of these episodes. So without further ado, we now take you into our interview with Northeastern University head coach, Mike Lavin. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is Mike Glavin, the head coach for Northeastern University Baseball. Mike, welcome to Back to the Futures, and thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. And you are our first head coach at the college level to join us. So special interview and thanks so much once again for taking some time. Really excited to hear what you have to say. Awesome. Hopefully I don't mess it up. We have a little fun and we talk some baseball and uh, as the season hopefully is getting a little bit closer here. So it's uh, it's always fun this time of year to talk baseball, right? We're getting excited and, and starting to see the start line a little bit. So it's a fun time of the year for sure. It sure is. Now let's start off by kind of comparing what you do at the college level to how we function at the summer collegiate level. So what place do you think the summer collegiate baseball game has in today's baseball sphere? Well, I I mean, I'm, I think I'm a huge fan of summer baseball at the collegiate level. I think it's, it's really vital for our players development in so many different ways. And, you know, you look at a, you look at a college roster and, and if you just peck right through it, you know, you get a 35 man roster in typical years from a division one standpoint. And, you know, obviously your seniors are graduating, they're moving on. So, you know, you have in the neighborhood of what, say 25, 27 guys returning to your roster. Um, and then of course you have your incoming class as well. That are, that are the freshmen that will be coming in that fall. So, you know, you have all these players that are coming back that you want to develop you want to get better. And, and then you look at our own particular seasons, obviously um, everybody plays a certain amount of games, gets a certain amount of bats, pitches a certain amount of innings. It's not all equal. And, and so the, the summer piece offers tremendous development for a lot of different reasons. We may have players that are hurt or were hurt during the year or didn't play a lot, um, didn't get a lot of at-bats, didn't pitch a lot of innings for a variety of different reasons. And the summer leagues really allow them to develop, get those much needed innings, those much needed at bats, um, along with obviously getting in the weight room and doing different things that they want to develop physically, physically, personally, and then to show up on campus in the fall as a better player. So to me, the summer, the summer aspect is is huge. It's vital. Um, Some of our players don't play in the summer. It depends on how many innings, you know, they pitch and you see a little more of that in the, the last few years. And, um, because it is a grind, they call it season, and either we limit our pitchers in some of them, or or we just don't pitch them at all. So it's a lot of different variables that go into it. But we're certainly big fans of what the summer baseball provides, you know, to our current players, and of course some of our incoming guys as well. And you just touched on it. You know, reps are super important, especially for a year like this. So how important do you feel it is that players get reps during the summer? 
Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, game reps are huge, you know, and even to our guys, like, I don't expect them to play every day either. <clears throat> and I talk to our, you know, the summer coaches about that, and, and certainly we want them to, but, and it's not a big deal when it's not the end of the world to us if they're not, <clears throat> excuse me, playing every day, they can, they can do other things that day to get better and they can get reps in BP. They can get reps on defense. They can get their bullpens in. They, they can get in the weight room. They can work on speed work, flexibility, whatever it may be that's on their individual, individual development plan from, from our perspective here at Northeastern. Um, you know, it, it's huge. So those reps every day in BP game reps, they all matter. They all count. And, and it's huge to springboard them in to maybe they didn't have a great year. Maybe they struggle a little bit with us and they need to build their confidence back up or whatever it may be. I've seen it all <clears throat> from our perspective for all of our guys, building confidence, working on certain pitches, changing a swing a little bit and doing it in a different environment. So all those reps are, are, are huge for our players' development. And you talk about your players. You had the opportunity to watch some of your players play, including Jared Dupree and Ben Malgeri this season in the Futures League. Were you able to track their progress at all? And how do you go about doing that? Yeah, no, we definitely track their progress. I, you know, my, my feeling towards it is in the summer is to be a little more hands off, though. You know, I just I want them to go out and play and have fun. They're sick of me by that point. You know, they've they just spent nine months with me and, and listening to me every day and practicing and traveling. And like I mentioned, the, the grind of college baseball. And I think summer baseball can be sometimes a lot more fun, really. Um, they can get away from that, that environment and get out there and, and just focus on their individual games. And, of course, they want to win. And, and it was great to see some of our guys win a championship this summer, um, you know, with Nashua. So, um, but we check in. We're checking. I'm checking box scores every night. Of course, I want our players to do well, play well, pitch well, be successful, feel good about what they're working on and what they're doing. So I'll check the box scores all the time. We'll text amongst the coaching staff, you know, hey, did you see so-and-so? Jared had a couple of home runs and, you know, things like that, how the night went. Um, so we're always checking. And then we'll probably just, you know, physically check in with the guys, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, just making sure they're doing okay, seeing if they need anything from us. And, you know, sometimes if a guy's struggling, I'll make sure I call him and see what's up and see what's going on and see if I can help facilitate any positive changes or things like that. So, um, you know, it's just that combination of, of giving them their space and letting them have some fun over the summer and getting away from us, but also letting them know there's still a resource there to help them if, if they need it. So a couple of your players did take home the championship for Nashua, but a lot of other players were in the league and some of them even made the journey up to Holman stadium to watch their teammates root them on. We were there to see it in action. What does that say about your team program and your chemistry that a lot of those guys are taking time to travel maybe an hour or two just to go watch and root on their teammates at school? Yeah, that's the kind of atmosphere, you know, we want here at Northeastern. You know, I think that word family gets thrown a lot around a lot, probably too much. And, and sort of a buzzword, right, amongst the coaching uh, ranks or, or with programs. But, you know, I truly like to think we are. We're, we're, we're on a, a smaller level, and I think a, as a tight-knit group is a real, real positive for us. And one of the, the intangibles for us to be successful is, is, is that type of atmosphere where guys are there to support each other, guys are there to root each other on. When they're playing against each other, you can see the friendly, you know, rivalry, that kind of stuff. So, um, and that, that's huge, you know, and the same from the coaching staff. I hope, you know, the guys appreciate seeing us coming out to the games and, 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 and removing our coaching hats and just sitting in the stands and watching them play. You know, that's, I get a kick out of that, really. I really enjoy just removing myself and, and being able to watch them play and, and from a, from a relaxed atmosphere, I'm probably a little more, certainly a lot more nervous in the dugout, you know, and I'm rooting for our guys up in the stands watching them. Maybe I'm at the game with my kids or something, but you know, it is that type of atmosphere we want to have here at Northeastern, that type of program, that type of, um, you know, family community type feeling amongst our roster that the guys are a close knit group. And, and that was important because that's one of the things, many things that we lost right with the season is you do lose that bond and being together all the time. And, and um, so it was great to see some of the guys be on the same team and then also play against each other and then also, of course, support each other and go out there and root for them. You just mentioned, you know, you, you like to be removed and like to be hands off, but some things are inevitable, like usage and safety of the players and, of course, injuries. So how often are you in contact with GMs about your player safety or do you keep a more hands on approach and just kind of let them ride it out? 
we're in contact, we're in contact, you know, um, <clears throat> and those coaches and GMs are most, almost all of them that we deal with are great and we have great relationships and, and they know we're coming from a place of respect for what they're trying to do and, and put together a successful summer team. And, and they know we're, we're coming from a place of China, you know, think of what, what's best for our individual player and our program for the upcoming year. So, We'll have those conversations a couple of times, maybe during the spring. And then when our season ends, we'll have, we'll have another one. You know, I don't, I don't want to blindside ever these teams either and just say, Hey, I'm pulling the plug on this kid, you know, um, either right before the summer starts or, or when summer's starting and I say, Hey, this kid's only going to go 10 innings, you know, things like that. I want to have those conversations ahead of time. So, so the, the teams know what our player is going to give them so they can plan accordingly uh, to add other players to help, you know, fill that role or void. Um, so we're just always having those conversations, you know, to me, it's just, it just depends on usage from a pitching standpoint. I don't think we have everything figured out certainly, you know, from that side, but we do have some plans in place of just, just how much our guys have pitched for us. And, and it's not just the in season stuff, like you, you can physically see the innings, you know, statistically well, but it started, you know, in August when they did their throwing program and then into September and October when they played fall ball with us. And then in the winter when they were ramping up for our season and then and then a 14, 15 college week season. And then you go into the summer. And if you look that whole calendar year, it's not just about those, you know, 15, 20, 80 innings they pitched in season. It's it's combined work effort. So. We like to think we have a good plan for our pitchers and we communicate, I think, really well with the summer teams, the GMs, the coaches. And, and more often than not, we want our guys to be full go. And, and one of the things that I've made the decision on here as we have as a staff is, um, you know, to value summer ball enough to where we want our guys to pitch in summer and we won't pitch them in fall at Northeastern if that's what it takes. And I think that's kind of outside the box thinking a little bit. And, and, um, and I know some teams do it, but you got to commit to that. It's really hard to have some of these kids come into your campus on fall and not pitch them. But you trust that the development over the summer they're getting playing against other teams and traveling and all that could be a little more um, beneficial to them than pitching for us in the fall. So, so we've made that adjustment in the last couple of years. We're letting our pitchers really go over the summer backing off them in the fall, making that their rest period, their lift period, their, their strength and conditioning, really heavy time, and then build them up in the winter for our season. So a lot of what you've hit on has been pitcher management and taking care of their arms. Our presenting sponsor here is ChangeUp. It's a technology we implemented where tracks player usage and safety and make sure they're not throwing too much and can send analytics to college coaches. As someone who I haven't been playing baseball for a number of years, seeing kids in their early twenties going through Tommy John and a huge transformation in baseball being a year long venture. How do you feel about pitch counts and managing pitchers and just where the game is at regarding young arms? Yeah. You, you know, you're definitely seeing more Tommy Johns. Right. And, um, and so, but then you lose other things like back in the day, rotator cuffs were like always an issue. Like that was some of the things you heard about. So Tommy John is clearly the, you know, the number one injury with pitchers right now. And I do think there are just a lot of factors to it. I, and kids are just big and strong at a young age. And I do think that's a part of it. Um, they're throwing harder at a young age. And, and maybe the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons, everything aren't quite developed to where they need to be to be able to throw that hard. But their bodies are stronger. They move better than, than when I played, certainly at that age. And, and so, and then you add in the volume. You know, so you talk about velocity, you talk about volume, the amount of the throw throughout the year, they're lifting weights at a younger age now. Um, so I, I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different factors. I think genetics, of course, you know, that some of it's just bad luck or, or, or that's how you're built and, and it's inevitably going to happen to some of these kids. So, um, but the, the, I think the great part is the fun part is, is trying to have a plan, studying it, trying to learn, stay on top of it. Um, I do think pitch counts, you know, can matter certainly for certain kids and certain the amount that they pitch on a week to week basis. Um, so I think it is important to, to track those things and monitor those things. Um, we certainly do it. So, you know, I certainly believe it should be done at a, at a, a youth age on up. So um, and they do it at the major league level. So, you know, you're definitely seeing that. So 
Um, I think the key, again, is just to be continue to learn, to pay attention, to not think you have all the answers, to understand that every pitcher is a little bit different. Their bodies are different. The way they move is different. I've had plenty of pitchers that could, you know, throw seven, eight innings on Saturday, and the next day they can't pick up a baseball. And another guy throws seven or eight innings, and you look out there and he's long tossing because he feels great, and it was like nothing. So that's just how recovery and how and see how many pitches these kids throw and from a youth level, from high school, college on up, and, and try to put them in the best possible position to be healthy and, and to be successful on the mound. Yeah, well, that's great, and I bet it's certainly a transition from your playing days, but like you mentioned, positives here and some negatives that also – and kind of cancels each other out. And now it's great to have the technology to be able to track that stuff and, you know, at least monitor it a little bit better. Sure. I mean, I still believe in blending, right? Like we, we talk about blending a lot, taking the old school with the new school or whatever you want to call it and sort of always being in school and learning. But, um, you know, if a lot of times I'll say to our guys, you know, we, we sort of put a number on what they might have for that outing or whatever for, again, for a variety of reasons, maybe we need them later in the week, maybe, maybe, um, you know, our bullpen's tired and we, we, we need some extra, you know, innings that day, whatever it may be. You know, sometimes I'll have that conversation with that kid before the game, the day before, whatever. Hey, this is what you're going to have. So go out and maximize it. You know, there's no reason why you can't throw a – I'm not saying don't throw a complete game on 100 pitches, but, you know, let's make sure we're pounding the zone and using those pitches. If we're 100 through five innings, you know, expect to maybe see me come walking out of the dugout. Don't be surprised or whatever. So you try to have those conversations too. Like, hey, get that mindset of like, oh, we're going to let you pitch. So let's attack the zone. Let's be efficient and, and let's try to pitch deep into the game or let's bounce back because we're going to use you again tomorrow. And talking about just baseball being a full annual calendar. So we're into the winter now, but some teams begin assembling their rosters for the summer in the fall, not uncommon to see by Labor Day, Columbus Day, teams having their rosters together. And a lot of coaches in our league have cited, you know, past relationships just through baseball that they have with college coaches. But do you ever advise managers, coaches, GMs in summer leagues to say, hey, I have this player. I think he could be a really good fit. How does that process work? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really sped up. And um, one of the things that, that has changed a little bit where um, over the years where rosters that you're right are, are, are almost full, almost in a year in advance. Um, and, and to some extent, I like it and to some extent I don't, especially with our incoming freshmen. I, you know, I, I like to see them on our field and practice before I can, you know, call these coaches that I you have great relationships with and GMs and teams in the Futures League to say, hey, uh, yeah, this is a guy for you. Yep, absolutely. You know, I'd like to see them sometimes, you know, play for us a little bit before I had to make some of those decisions. And sometimes they're easy decisions. You know, a kid's going to have a big impact. So, um, you know, so we, again, we treat everyone a little bit differently. Some kids are placed pretty quickly. Um, and, and we know because we feel confident in our evaluation. Other kids, we'd like I said, we want to see a little bit more. And I may say, hey, um, you know, I have, have a guy for you, I think. I just want to – can you give me a couple weeks here? I want to see him practice with us. I want to see him do our pro day. I want to see him in a scrimmage in a game for us. I just want to see a little bit more, um, you know. And, and the beautiful thing, there's so many great things about the Futures League, uh, but it tends to be a younger league, I think, and, and I love that. I really do. You, you talk about some incoming, you know, again, freshmen, some high school seniors, incoming freshmen being able to play in the league. A lot of our freshmen play in the league as well. I mean, going back to what we talked about earlier, probably the most important summer is that summer after their freshman year in college. That is the most important summer. And so to hand these guys over to these, you know, these teams in the Futures League and, you know, ask them to continue the development is, is something that we take very seriously. And, um, and so it's such an important summer. So, and, and then, yeah, we have those built relationships, like you said, and we have a lot of kids in our roster that are local, right? 27, 28 guys that are from, from this area, which, which we love. And so I want them to play locally over the summer. Again, they get a chance to be home, you know, get away from Northeastern, be home, be with mom and dad or family. The families can come see them play. It's such a natural, great fit. And so, hey, if a kid's in an area and he lives in New Hampshire, well, of course, I'm going to call Nashua and say, hey, this is kind of an easy fit. And he's a really talented player. And, and same with Worcester, Brock and all the way through the through the through the league. So um, so we have those relationships. We make those calls and, and you try to put players in the best places possible where they'll develop and grow. 
Absolutely. And we've talked about it many times so far, but it's very important that everybody gets reps, but specifically the incoming freshman. Can you think of a, a good example of one of your players that maybe was an incoming freshman and joined summer ball and then came to your campus and just dominated? Well, I mean, the most immediate one right now is Max Vieira. Um, you know, Max goes and plays in Nashua this summer and, and so many great things again, right? So number one, he's playing against college players, kids that are older. And the league was a little bit older this year, right? With, with everything that, that went on and players looking to play, which was awesome. So he gets to play against college pitching, college players. And then there's a couple of guys on our team that are on that, you know, Northeastern team that are on the Nashua team. So he gets to probably hear from them every day what Coach Glavin's like and what it's going to be like inside of sort of prep them for that. So that's huge. Um, and, and then he goes and develops, has an awesome summer. I, you know, I forget what his numbers were, 330, 340, you could probably pull him up. But, you know, hit, hit really well, played really well, became an everyday player for them, wins the championship. I mean, that's great. And then he springboards, comes here in the fall, and he's one of our best players this fall. Um, there's no question he's going to be an impact player for us. And I absolutely believe that that summer was really helpful for his development coming in here um, this fall, he didn't miss a beat. He stepped right in. He was comfortable, work, hard worker. And again, naturally, he knew some guys, which was probably very helpful. That, that freshman fall is pretty scary for most kids. You know, as confident as they are, it's a new campus, new, new tool, new, new coaching staff, a whole new locker room. There's 22-year-olds in there, 23. And, and so for, for him to be able to come in confident uh, from developing this summer was, was really big. Quick follow-up note here. You said that he's hearing from some of his older teammates like a Jared or a Brandon Dufault about what Coach Glavin's like. What do you think those players are telling him? Uh, uh, I think they're probably saying he's demanding, but he's fair. And, and he has expectations of how we do things a certain way. And, um, and if you don't do those things a certain way, you're probably going to hear from him. And if you do those things the way that we want to do it, then, then it's, it's, it's a pretty smooth ride. And, and, um, you know, we have a lot of fun here. I think I really believe that I think we work really hard and I, you know, I do believe I'm tough on the guys and I push them and I can be a little too serious at times, but I, you know, I think the players want that. They want to be pushed. They want to be challenged. They want to get better. They don't want to be average. They want to be great. And I think they want a coach that's going to, you know, push them hard, but love them up when they need it and, and be honest with them and be fair. And, and so I hope that's what those guys have you know, those guys have said Jared had a, you know, a tough freshman year. I, I made it difficult for him um, because I played him in so many different positions. And, and uh, you know, we just needed him so much his freshman year, but nothing was smooth for him because of what, how I bounced him around. But that was because I trusted him and I knew, I knew he could do the job. Um, and then he comes back last year and I just said, Hey, you're our, you're our starting center fielder and I'm not moving you no matter what. And, and, and um, I think he appreciated that. And Brandon's just worked his way through the system. He was a reliever here his freshman year. And then he comes to start his sophomore year. Doesn't go great early in his sophomore year, bad coaching by me. You know, we have those conversations. We move him back to the bullpen and he becomes a dominant closer towards the end of his sophomore year. And last year he was off to an incredible start before everything was halted. So I'd like to think those guys, you know, we're helping them out along those areas and preparing them for to be challenged, but to have fun while doing it and to improve and get better. Yeah. Those Northeastern guys certainly had an impact on the league and that's a lot of credit to you for pushing those guys, but having a little fun along the way, as you said. Absolutely. And so a big part of our league this summer especially was the pro scouts and we had three scout days right at the beginning of August. So I'm curious, what's your relationship like with pro scouts and especially in a summer like this, where we were, we were one of the only shows in town. I'd like to think my relationship is great. You know, constantly communicating with those, uh, with those scouts in the new England area, I have a few calls to make today. Um, so uh, just communicate open lines of communication, try to trust each other. They have a job to do. We have a job to do. Um, I, I want our practices and games to be open to, to the scouts. I want them to come watch our guys. I think our guys love it, certainly. I think it adds to our practices sometimes. I do not think they're a distraction. I, I think um, it makes it more fun when, when they're interested. That means we have good players if they're calling me or coming to our practices, so that's a good thing. Um, so, so I really like having the scouts around, 
Uh, I like to pick their brain and they like to pick mine. I like to learn from them. I like to see what they're seeing around the country, around North, the Northeast. Um, and, and, and they like to know about our players, the ins and the outs. And I think they trust me and that I'll, I'll shoot them straight. Um, but I also believe that they know we have a certain type of player here and that, and that fits the pro mold. And, and when we do have talented enough players to get that opportunity, they, I think the scouts know that our guys can handle it and, and play professional baseball and do what it takes. Um, you know, certainly look at what Savali's done here recently, but, but in general, I think they know that our, our players had the right mindset for that pro ball um, lifestyle. So I think we have a great relationship. It's so important. We're trying to develop the game. We're trying to, trying to grow the game. We're trying to, grow New England baseball, trying to grow Northeastern baseball. So the more players we have drafted and signed that, that again, that must mean we have some pretty good players and, and then they get to go fulfill a dream potentially of reaching the big league. So to me, it's a win-win situation when you can have a good relationship with, with the pro side and, 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 you know, have good communication with them. Well, coach, you beat us to it because the next question we have is regarding Mr. Savali. He was just inducted to our Futures League Hall of Fame, the inaugural class this October. Uh, He's one of nine players from your program who've gotten drafted. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is a program record for a head coach to have a number of players under him drafted to the pro ranks. So talking about Savali for a second and the impact he's made on Cleveland, what did he mean to your program at the time? And what is it like seeing him pitch now at the highest level? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he, it was huge for us. You know, he's perfect guy to recruit out of high school, right? He, he was 88, maybe 89, um, but a good breaking ball through strikes, really smart kid, great student, well-rounded balance, great family, you know, and, and it's just like that perfect kid you look at and say, all right, check, check all the boxes. He's talented right now. He has pitch ability right now. He's a great student. We're never going to have to worry about him. We just got to develop him, get him better. And he's got to push himself to get better. And, and, and we'll see how, how it goes, you know, and, and there's more in the tank. You know, the, all those cliches you say about these, these young players and players you recruit. And, you know, sure enough, he goes out and, and he just, um, you know, has a really good freshman year has an awesome sophomore year. Uh, one of the, one of just his junior year is on, you know, is untouchable, but his sophomore year was one that, you know, we made a decision as a staff to said, if there's a chance to win this game, he didn't start. He came out of the bullpen. So we, we always said as a staff, like if there's a chance to win this game or we're no matter what the situation is, we're bringing Savali in and we're going to win with him. We're going to lose with him or he's going to save, but he's going to get a decision in every possible situation we can. And, and, and he had just an incredible sophomore year and then went down and down to the Cape that summer. And he, at that point he had just developed strength and gotten stronger physically, mentally more confident goes and has an awesome season that year as well. So you look at his progression, such a natural, great progression for me. Comes to Northeastern, goes and pitches in Worcester um, that summer, has an awesome summer, pitches great, develops that whole summer. He comes in in the fall, we works out, we, we shut him down because he had pitched a lot. That's where he gets stronger. He's in the weight room, changing his body around, comes out, has a great sophomore year, sophomore summer, and then pitches and has a great junior year and gets drafted. Almost the ideal um, progression for one of our players. And, and so he was a program changer for us, you know, no question about it. He pitched so great here all three years and, and then he goes and makes it to the big leagues and, and um, such a, just an incredible representation of our program, what it means to play here, such a quiet, humble kid. Like if you watch him pitch now, it's the same demeanor that he had when he was here at Friedman Diamond at Northeastern or in Worcester over the summer. He's got a little bit of a scowl, but nothing really bothers him. He just goes out and pitches, and he, he's got impeccable command, can throw all his pitches, and it's really fun to watch him pitch. And I'm sure it was really easy to try to recruit a guy like that who already was putting up numbers in high school. Talk to us about your recruiting process, the staff you have. I know that you guys have a Twitter account, Northeastern Baseball Recruiting, that's very active, really trying to appeal to kids and showing the progress of your players, but – how do you go about that process? When do you start looking at kids in high school and how do you go about ultimately forming that next class? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. And that's really sped up as well. You know, talk about summer ball placement, but also recruiting, right? So we're, we're currently right now, even during this time, we're in a dead period and been in a dead period here from a recruiting standpoint for a while, which is, you know, unfortunate, 
Um, but, you know, we're, we're looking at kids that are currently, you know, in their junior year. We're probably still looking at kids maybe that are in their senior year right now. You never know. Uh, they lost their spring last year. And so who knows what kind of development they, they've done over this year. And then we're also looking at sophomores and freshmen, you know, just kind of putting a database together, a list of names, talking to high school coaches, summer coaches, just trying to find out, you know, some of the talented players here in this New England area. And, and, and my coaching staff, I think, is just incredible. Coach Puccio, Coach Bosco, and Coach Cobb, they do an incredible job of getting the names and finding out who's who. And, and, and when we're able to, getting out there and seeing those guys play, you know, we're constantly meeting as a staff, texting video or texting names and, and talking to players and trying to gauge their interest in Northeastern. And, and then, you know, once you have your list together and, and players you're excited about or interested in, you, you try to form that relationship with them. You talk to them. You, you see if they're interested in Northeastern. You see how, you know, if it could be a, the right fit for us um, um, for a lot of different reasons. And, 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 you know, we love talented players, obviously, but we love players that are athletic, that can do multiple things. They tend to play multiple sports. They do really well in school. Um, they're passionate about the Northeast and playing in the Northeast and they, 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 they want to, you know, be close to home and play a challenging baseball. So we, we try to get all those, those intangibles to fit with us. Um, you know, because, because we have some obstacles to overcome and, and you mentioned, you know, our, our, you know, Twitter and, and Instagram, what we try to do there. I mean, that's just to try to get kids excited about Northeastern and what we're doing and kind of show them what we're doing. We're not going to be able to do this, um, here with state of the art facility yet anyways, but you know, what we have, uh, we're proud of, and, and this is, we try to show what we have. And so, so we try to find the local players that are, that are blue collar, tough, hard nosed, competitive, um, all those things that, that would make a great Northeastern player. And, and, and we've been lucky to do that. I think you take the combination of our, our coaches, our assistant coaches and, and coach Bosco, Puccio and Cobb, like I mentioned, and then you get the right fit players. And, and that's where you have, you have the success, you know? And so we've been, we've been lucky to find the right players and great fits and obviously, uh, I'm just thankful for our assistants and all the hard work they put in out there with, with everything that goes on with recruiting. Yeah. Recruiting is a giant animal and you know, it's, it's awesome to see these guys getting the opportunity to get recruited and then get into your program and eventually get drafted. And that's the goal is to get a lot of these players drafted. So what is the advice that you give these players when they go through your program about trying to get drafted? Yeah. You know, the first word I always use is just opportunity. You know, it's, it's an opportunity. Like you come to Northeastern, you have an opportunity. And then, you know, why can I say that? Well, you know, because we've had first rounders out of Northeastern. You know, we had Carlos Payne. We've had Adam Ottavino, a couple first rounders. Um, you know, and as we mentioned, we have Savali, we had Luke Carlin, Jason Bosser, a bunch of guys that have uh, had either high, been high draft picks or or have impact in the major league level, along with all of our guys in the minor leagues right now, guys like Sean Mellon, Max Berg, and guys like that, um, and the draft picks that you had mentioned over the years. So I would certainly never say to a high school kid, hey, come to Northeastern and, and you'll get drafted. Trust me, you'll get drafted. We know you know, we know how to do it. No, it's not like that. There's a lot of luck along the way. You got to stay healthy and, and you have to put all the work in and be passionate and have a rage to master the game of baseball and, and just really want to, you know, be the best you can be. And, and so there's a lot of different factors in there. But for me, I use, again, the word opportunity and show, hey, these are all our players that have been in the big leagues. These are all our players that have been drafted and signed. We've hit pretty much every round up and down the draft. Uh, and now we have a high school kid coming in, Sebastian Keene, who was drafted out of high school and comes to Northeastern. So you just show them, you know, all the different names and players and tell them, talk to them about the opportunity, the process, talk to them about my relationship with the scouts. And, and as we mentioned earlier, and, and then we sort of lay out a plan of how they're going to get there. You know, this is our development plan for you. And whether it's a position player or a pitcher, here's how we kind of see these three, four years going while you're here at Northeastern. And, and if they like what they see, you know, hopefully they become a Husky. Before we return to our interview with Mike Clavin, once again, we wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to ChangeUp, one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors. ChangeUp is a cutting edge player centric pitch and performance management application. By comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in-game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. 
During the 2020 season, FCBL teams reap the benefits of the change of application, including the ability to keep college coaches informed on what and how their players are doing here in the FCBL. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. Changeup is the clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, Changeup's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball superstars today. Changeup is helping make sure those superstars travel safely and as far as possible on their personal baseball journeys. Are you ready to join the ChangeUp revolution? For more information, visit ChangeUp's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. ChangeUp, every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with Mike Glavin. Yeah, so from giving the advice to the players about getting drafted to them actually getting drafted, what's it like hearing their names and knowing that, especially for the ones you've coached, that you were a big part of them getting drafted? As a coach, it's it's like this just gratifying, rewarding, big smile on your face type moment. Like, you know, you know, part of just a part, right? Like you said, a part of the whole process. And because they're ultimately the ones that have to make the decision to put the work in, to put the time in, to do all the reps, to pull all the lifting, to do all the nutrition, to do all the running, to do everything that it takes to become you know, a professional athlete and get drafted. And it's such a small number. So it is, it's just so rewarding. It's just like a proud moment, you know, always so happy for those guys. And, and cause you, you, you know, I, I was lucky enough to play for a little while in the minor leagues. I was just a career minor leaguer, but I know what that, that feeling is like, and I want them to have that feeling. Any, any player we recruit, we ask that question, you know, do you want to play professional baseball? If they don't, then it's not the right fit. You know, we don't want you here um, because we want our guys to be driven and passionate to want to play professionally and have that dream to play in the major league. So when they get that opportunity to sign or get drafted, it's it's just such a rewarding moment as a coach and as a coaching staff because you do feel like you had a, played a small role in, in that player's success. So you took over for Neil McPhee, who coached the Huskies for 29 seasons, and you served as an assistant under him and were selected to take over when he retired. What advice did you take from him, and how has your coaching style developed and grown over the last six seasons? Yeah, I've had, I've had a great relationship um, with Coach McPhee. Played for him uh, back in the day and, and won a championship here with him, playing for him, and got to a regional, and, and then – um, came back as a volunteer assistant to start, you know, I, I was, uh, looking to get back into the college game and it was great opportunity for me to come back to the alma mater and, and to coach some baseball. And, and so, um, you know, coach, you know, hall of famer here at Northeastern player coach, um, just, just has that mentality that I think, again, what Northeastern teams are typically known for just tough blue collar, hard, hard nose, that type of, lunch pail um, team that just grinds and tough to play against all those different things. So I learned all of that from coach and, and just trying to, trying to, you know, build a team that way and find, find that type of mentality and, and mold the team, um, you know, along with obviously plenty of strategical things and the mindsets, but I really just learned the, the mindset and the way of, way of, um, way of running the team and how, how you want your guys to play you know we want to be tough to play against and and have that type of team and and um and, and coach was tough to coach against and and there are a lot of stories about coach and through the years and um and but incredible baseball mind passionate about northeastern and and our program and did so much for me and my career as a player and a coach and and for our program you know there are plenty of days where i think there's no chance i'll be I'll be coaching 29 years like, like he did. Um, and just think about all the accomplishments he had for our program. It's just incredible. Let's talk about some of your accomplishments with the program now. So in 2018, you led the teams to their first NCAA tournament appearance since 2003. And I might add, you did it securing an at-large bid, not winning the CAA. So what was it like winning a program record 36 games, winning your first three games against an SEC opponent, getting a chance to go down to Gainesville, but ultimately hearing your name called and seeing all the hard work pay off and just feeding off that player's excitement and knowing that, you know, you guys did it for the first time in 15 years. 
Yeah, it's such a such a some a moments a moment a season I'll never forget. And um, there's so much that goes into it, right? You're thinking about it. first you, you you back up into putting the schedule together and believing in that team and saying, hey, we got a team here that can handle this schedule that we're going to put together. Let's do it. Let's put it together. Let's give them this opportunity um, to compete on a national level. And so, you know, you start with that. And I still remember like it was yesterday, our first team meeting that year and, and telling the guys that, you know, we've always put our eggs in one basket trying to win the conference title. And that's nothing that will never change. And we always want to win a conference championship, but why can't we do it as an at-large bid if that doesn't work out? Why are we putting all our focus in one area? Why can't we just play a great schedule, have a great season, and see how everything plays out? So we talked about an at-large bid in that first meeting, and, and I bet you there were guys in that room saying, let's do it, and then there were guys thinking, what is Coach talking about? We really think we can get an at-large bid out of here. And, you know, so you go, and um, that that team was, was as hard a working team as I've ever coached, they were tough. All the things we're talking about, Charlie McConnell, Max Burt, Mason Coppins, Mike Geese. I mean, the list goes on and on about how um, talented and tough that team was and how bad they wanted to win. You know, and then you, you speed up into the season and they were prepared for it. And as you mentioned, we, we win, we, you know, we defeat some SEC teams. You gain that confidence. We beat an undefeated Auburn team at their place. It was nationally ranked, I don't know, top 15 at that point. You know, win a couple of games against Missouri, start to feel good about it. The thing starts to steamroll a little bit. Now the work ethic's already there. The work's been done. The confidence is coming along. And you see this thing building and building and building into the tournament and we go and we lose our first game <laughs> as the one seed and you go, uh Oh, and, and what do they do? You know, they come all the way from the losers bracket all the way to the final day. We got to win twice. We win the first game. We get to the championship game. I mean, you couldn't have drawn it up and many much better for a team like that because that's just how they were. And, and we go out and we just emptied the tank. We were out of gas in that last game and, you know, back and forth game and we end up losing and, and I remember saying to the team, you know, walking off that field, like we they hold their heads high and, and um, that I didn't think the season was over. I really did. I believed that we were going to get the bid. And, um, you know, so we, you know, we get together on selection Monday, no idea what's going to happen. I had no idea. No one called me. No one tipped me off. I didn't get any texts, nothing. We're just all sitting there as a team. And then there we are, we get called in the first bracket and, and everyone goes nuts and, um, just a sense of accomplishment, like you said, from a, a plan put in place and the guys had willing to execute it and work for it and compete for it in such a special team, such a special group in a moment, certainly we'll never forget. And to making that, we still want to win a, lot, a championship. Believe me, that's what we're trying to do this year. And, and we feel like we got a championship team again this year, but that accomplishment making as an at-large bid in a non-Power 5 conference is something that can never be taken away from us and what they did and, and that group of guys, and it will always be special. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And I know what a team that was in 2018. From a specific season in 2018 to something you guys do every season, you get the opportunity to go down south and play at JetBlue Park against the Red Sox. You know, we talked with Danny Cross in episode four and Jared Dupree in episode 15 about it. What's it like to play the Red Sox at JetBlue and what is the relationship like with the team? Yeah, it's a great relationship. You know, it's, it's um, we're lucky enough to be able to play that game every year. So we'll come down, we'll take the whole team down to Florida and, and, and typically schedule some games around that as well. But that's the highlight of that weekend. And, uh, you know, all our family and friends are down and everybody and alums. And there's a huge alumni event that the, that, that, that the university runs. And it's just a great day for the university, a great day for the program and, and a special day for our players and staff and our family and friends and supporters. And, and, and um, you know, something that we circle on the calendar every year. So we have a great relationship with the Sox. And it's great to be able to play that game and you know we get to the field early we get dressed in the locker room we go right out to the field and and the Red Sox are typically you know out there already working out they're getting the ground balls shagging fly balls taking batting practice and and so our guys will just go out there and hang out you know and they'll let our guys hang out they'll go out we'll ask questions and the guys take selfies and get some autographs and have some have some fun you know fun moments there together but um you know, it's just a special day, you know, and they, the Red Sox make it great. And we watch them take BP and they'll hang around with us. And 
and we've played against a lot of the guys over the years and faced different guys and big poppy's taken us deep and we've struck out big poppy and Pedroia and Ellsbury and, and all the guys endeavors and throughout the year and years. And it's just, it's just a special day. We've had special moments, some home runs, some big strikeouts. We haven't beat them yet. You know, one of these years, I think we tied them one year. We went to extra innings another year. So, um, but that's really not what it's about. It's just, it's just a fun, fun day and an opportunity to work out and, and act like big leaguers for a day. And, and it's really, it's just a blast. Well, I'm certainly jealous as a BC guy, you know, it feels like we got the short end of the stick. You guys are still down there playing against them, but that what an awesome experience now talk to, and also you get to go down to Florida and get out of the Northeast winter for a little bit. So, you know, what could be better than that? Exactly. Uh, it is a great, I know we shared that day with BC for many years and you know, it's, you know, it always, we'd always cross paths. We'd be leaving or, and they'd be coming onto the field or, or, or vice versa. So, you know, we're lucky to still get that opportunity to be down there and play. That's incredible. Talk to us quickly about the ways that you guys give back to the community. We talked to Danny and Jared about it, but we want to hear from your perspective. You guys have the 19 ways program, pick 19 ways to give back to the community, just get involved and give back. Talk to us about that and what that means to you. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a really important part of our program and, and what we do. And, you know, again, we're, we're, we're blessed. We're lucky. I don't think we ever are, uh, lose where we're at or, or our priorities and how important, you know, things are in life, but how lucky we are to be able to, you know, coach baseball and call and play college baseball. We're just, we're just so thankful for that. And so, you know, I think our players are, are really, really, you know, one of the best things about them, they're so balanced. They're so well-rounded. They do so many things great, not just on the baseball field, but in the classroom. And as you mentioned in the community. And um, so we do have that 19 ways program that you mentioned. It started um, when I played at Northeastern, one of my assistant coaches, Pete Hughes, who's uh, had a tremendous career as a coach, coached at BC, coached at uh, Trinity in Texas and was at Oklahoma and Virginia Tech. And now he's at Kansas State. Um, he started the 19 Ways program um, with his programs in honor of his mother. And, and Pete has, has and continues to have um, such a tremendous influence on me, one of my mentors and, and someone that was so helpful for me during my playing career. Um, here at Northeastern. But then when I started to think about getting into coaching, when my professional baseball days were over, Pete was probably the first person I called and, and just gave me, you know, some tremendous advice at that time and really pushed me in the direction of, of coaching college baseball. So um, I thought, you know, the, the, at least a small way or a great way to honor Pete and his mom and, and, and was to, to have, be a part of the 19 ways. And so we decided to do that here at Northeastern with Pete's permission, of course, and just, you know, made that call to him and talk, told him what we wanted to do. And, and so that's what we do. It's 19 different ways to give back in the community. And it's, and it's really, it's a collaboration with the coaching staff and the players and their families. And, you know, we provide some of the ideas to the guys. Um, the guys come to us with most of the ideas. We don't make them do anything. It's all voluntary. And that's why I get another reason why it's so special to see our guys, you know, volunteer to do so many different things within the community. Um, you know, we're, we're involved with Team Impact and and we have our, you know, we call our 36 player, Liam McGordy, who is a big part of our program and and one of our you know, pieces to the biggest piece, maybe to that is the biggest piece to our 19 ways. And so we and we redo it every year, you know, give back every year, 19 different ways. And we can go beyond 19. We don't have to stop there, but um, and that continues all the way through the year. And, and you'll see our guys are doing it in the summer as well. You know, when they're out there playing summer baseball and, and the Futures League or whatever they're doing, I, I you know, continue to see our guys getting involved, giving back to the community, doing camps, whatever it may be to, to, to give back. It's really a special part of our program, something we're really proud of and, and, um, and just thankful that our guys are, you know, are well, willing and, and, and able to help out. Well, Mike, we can't let you go without asking a question about your professional career. You got called up to the Mets in 2003. You're one of a select few who's played in the bigs. You also got to play alongside your older brother, Tom. I don't know if anyone at home knows the, you know, the name Tom Glavin. Happened to have a pretty successful career in the majors. What was it like to get called up and get a chance to play alongside him? Yeah, he's, he's definitely getting older now because I'm not sure all of our players know exactly that I have a – 
a fairly famous brother or some recruits that, you know, that is in the hall of fame. So, um, so I got the short end of the, of the gene pool here, the stick here, but I, I, you know, I, that's why I say I was a career minor leaguer. I was lucky, lucky to get a cup of coffee, you know, in the big leagues. And certainly with my brother being out there was made it just incredible. And, you know, started a game at Shea stadium with him on the mound versus the pirates. So just, um, you know, just, just, just incredible for, for me, for our family, just to be able to share that moment um, and, and, and be out there on the same field with him and start a game. And, you know, he's been influential to me. He was influential to me when I was growing up really younger in, in my high school days and college and early in my professional career. And, and um, you know, just, just big shoes to fill, but it was always fun trying to keep up with him. But he always let me tag along and when it was wiffle ball or street hockey games growing up and then to get that opportunity to, to actually be on a major league field uh, together was something that I know myself, my family will, will never forget. And uh, definitely, definitely a special moment. Yeah. Proud. That's a proud family moment right there. No, no doubt about it. And before we get to our quick hits segment, I just want to ask, what are your expectations for your Northeastern team here in 2021 as we enter the new year? Well, you know, we're, I think we have a talented team. You, you know, we got um, <clears throat> pretty much all of our pieces back from last year with, with all the players getting the year of eligibility back. Um, we added our freshman class, as we've talked about. We have some transfers that, come in, that are coming in this year as well. Ben Melgeri is one of them who had a – tremendous summer in the futures league and, and uh, navigators. So, you know, we're, we're really excited about this team. Um, I thought we were doing great things last year before you know, everything was shut down. We were, I think we're on our way to a special season. And so I feel like we picked up right where we left off this fall. It's a special group. They work hard, they play hard, they have fun together. They're passionate about baseball. They love, you know, they want to win. Um, so we're, we're, we're excited about the season. You know, we feel like we have a talented group and, 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 um, and we have great team chemistry. So, you know, I feel like we're prepared for everything right now and see how everything goes. We have a schedule in place. We're ready to roll. We'll start practicing here in a few weeks. And, and um, so I'd like to think that we're, we're, you know, in a position to compete for a championship, of course, you know, I feel like we're going to be, we're going to be in the mix in our conference and, um, you know, have that opportunity. I think we have enough talent here and enough, you know, tough players that to put us in that position. So we'll see how it all plays out, but definitely, definitely excited about this group and to see, see them get out on the field and compete. Well, Mike, this has been awesome so far. We have one final segment for you, as Owen mentioned, it's called quick hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the futures league Zephyr high quality and innovative design since 1993. So we have a couple more questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. How about a favorite player that you've coached? Oh man, geez. You're going to put me on the spot here. I mean, favorite. You yeah. can't say all of them. Oh man. Um, you know, I, I, uh, Max Burt is, is definitely high on the list. Another futures league and, and, uh, in double a right now at the Yankees, uh, just, uh, <laughs> you're never going to outwork that kid. And you're not going to outcompete him, and you're still not going to. And I just love that about him. And that was my first year. So my first year as a head coach, he took over at shortstop as a freshman and didn't miss a start for four years. So and he played all four years at shortstop, over 200 games for us, played in a regional. So um, I hope the rest of the players don't get upset with me on that one. But he, Max is right at the top of the list. Love it. Sounds like a guy you want in the locker room, just a workhorse and someone who's a constant day in and day out. So we'll, we'll take that answer and we won't hold it against you. We hope your players right. will do the same. How about a favorite ballpark that you've either attended as a fan or played in? Ooh, from a, from a college perspective, um, we played at some great ones. I really love Texas A&M. Um, you know, we were there a few years ago with the program and I, and I loved I love that ballpark and, and coaching there. And um, from a from a playing days perspective, I, I played at Durham uh, with the Bowl and in the minor leagues and AAA, and that was pretty uh, pretty awesome place to play call, uh, pro baseball. So that would that would be my favorite pro spot in college is Texas A and M. Have to ask a follow up about A and M. As a coach, did you ever have to coach a pitcher through when the fans are chanting the ball one, ball two, ball three for how many consecutive balls they throw? How do you manage a situation like that? 
No, we didn't. But I do love watching that on on TV when it, when it's happening to somebody else, as long as it's not us. But um, the first game I remember, we, the first guy for Texas A&M had a pop up to us in the first battle of the game. We dropped it, and I knew we were in big trouble. You know, we hadn't been outside. It was the first game of the year, and so it, t- it took us a little bit to get our feet wet. But on Sunday, we lost. We had them. We had them beat, and then uh, they tied it up and beat, uh, beat us in extra innings on a walk off. So, um, but it was a special place to play. But we didn't have that experience, thankfully. Good. Well, that's good to hear. How about a baseball stadium or more broadly a sporting event that's on your bucket list? Ooh. Um, you know, I've always wanted to go to a heavyweight fight. I've always wanted to see something along those, you know, those lines. I've never been to a heavyweight, heavyweight title match. So that would be pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I, I'm starting to get into a little bit here, the premier soccer, and it looks like the environment in, in that league and what's going on there would be a pretty special feeling and seeing what's, what's, uh, what it's like. So I put those, those two things right near the top and the masters. I haven't been to the masters, so I'd like to see the masters as well. Love it. Love to see a little, little golf love inside the baseball circles. I have a lot of respect for the baseball players who can both hit and golf. I don't understand it, but I digress. How about walk-up music? If you were walking up to the plate now, maybe, either something you had during your playing days or something you'd put on now, what would coach Glavin be walking up to the box with playing? Oh, that's a great question. Again, Northeastern quick story. Like we didn't have walk up music till 2018. The guys were hounding me and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I said, fine. I remember saying to the guys, if we sweep this series or win this series, whatever I said to them, I said, when we get home, we were on the road. I said, we get home, I'll let you have walk up music. And we did it. So I finally let the guys start to have their own walk-up music in, in 2018. So maybe, uh, you know, obviously, that was a good year for us. So I probably should have allowed it allowed it sooner. But, but, I mean, I've always been a Springsteen guy, I guess. He's kind of, I don't know if he's uh, too exciting for walk-up music, but more, more along those lines. And I'm a huge country guy right now or have been for a while. So, you know, maybe something in, in that genre, whether Springsteen or country with uh, a big Eric Church guy or – Luke Combs or something along those lines. I love it. How about a favorite big league team and player, whether current or historical? Always loved, obviously, the Red Sox growing up. So that's that's an easy one. It just just you know just been a huge part of my life when, when watching all their games and 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 uh, seeing the championships. But always loved. I love watching Mo Vaughn. I probably I played first base, so I, I lean towards the, the, those guys where they could drive the ball out of the park. So I love Mo Vaughn. I love Fred McGriff. Um, those two guys were really fun for me to watch hit back in the day. And of course, Pedro, when he pitched, it was must watch TV. So those are probably my, some of my favorites growing up. How about a baseball nickname? Any nicknames around the uh, coaching circles? baseball nickname my goodness no I mean mine's nothing nothing fun other than glass so that's that doesn't count um no I'm gonna punt on that one I don't have anything good for that hey no problem yeah glass is a good one we'll use glass for that (laughs) I'm sure the players call me some other stuff every now and then but I don't I don't think we want to know that (laughs) probably not Uh, are you superstitious at all Yes, definitely. Definitely. From my playing days, of course, and coaching, do the same thing. And every year I probably tell myself I'm not going to be superstitious or do this or do that. And then I find myself still wearing the, if we win, it's the same shirt. If I, what did I drive? Where did I get my coffee? Where did I go? What did I, you know, anything that was good for the day before, there's a really good chance to do it, do it the next day or probably in game. I'm probably doing something too that that's affecting the outcome of the game, whether I'm standing or sitting um, in a certain spot. I'm sure that really has an, out- an effect on the outcome, but I'm definitely superstitious. I was as a player and I still do it as a coach. I got to ask, was 20, 2018 the worst superstitious year you ever had? Probably. I'm sure. I mean, I was probably a nervous wreck the whole year too. You know, when you're chasing that, when you're chasing the championship and chasing that, that, um, that at large bid, and you know, you're in the talk now, you start to see it late in the year the stress level goes through the roof. I mean, I'm telling you, it's as fun as it is. You're also like, I was exhausted when that year ended. It was probably from from all the superstitions, being in the right spot, the right place, and moving around and doing everything I needed to do. But um, I was definitely doing a lot of stuff that year. Yeah, it's as much mental as it is physical. So those two things combined. Just exactly. you out. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, are you a bubblegum guy or sunflower seeds guy? 
Well, I was a sunflower seeds guy, but everything's turf now and our home field's turf and I don't like spitting into the cups and anything and never dipped in and not a spit guy. So, and not seeds. So I've, I've probably switched, switched to the gum here, some bazooka or whatever still and, and uh, chomp along during the game, try to get the nerves out. Yeah. Turf fields have been hard on the sunflower seed business for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it. And then how about favorite ballpark food or beer that you've ever had? Ooh, favorite ballpark. Well, we recruiting wise, we would go to um, Bristol and and have a muzzinator back in the day. So those were always a nice little treat to get to go there and 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 recruit and stuff my face and probably get sauce on my northeastern shirt or something while I'm trying to recruit someone. But um, I think I'll put the muzzinator up there. Haven't had one in a long time, but that was always a treat back in the day. Awesome. And then finally, how about a favorite all time baseball memory? Ooh, favorite baseball memory. Um, I, college standpoint was hitting a home run in a regional off R.A. Dickey. You know, we with first inning too. You know, they were I think the number two team in the country. He wasn't throwing knuckleballs back then either. Uh, he was throwing straight gas. And um, here comes the team from Northeastern, and and boom, we're in the we're up two nothing in the first inning. Uh, so I'll, I'll I'll never forget that because I was getting razzed pretty heavily from the sold out crowd there was packed and they were all over me um, before I, before I hit. So that was a moment I'll never forget. Um, and then probably just, you know, having one major league hit was something I can, I can always hang my head on, I guess. And uh, definitely a moment I'll always remember as well. Certainly something that not many people would forget. Well, coach Glavin, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck with everything. I will paraphrase that by saying you're being interviewed by a UMass guy and a BC guy. So maybe we won't be rooting for you in the bean pot, but other than that, really excited to track your progress and see how the team does in 2021. Well, that's fair enough. I get it. I always want you to stay loyal to your school. So I love that. And, uh, but I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a lot of fun and thankful to everything that the futures league does for our program and for our players. So it was, uh, it was a blast chatting today and uh, thanks guys. And keep an eye on us this spring. We certainly will. This has been episode five of season two of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Make sure to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon. 